0: So it is uh, October 16th, 2011. Our message today is called A Whole of Bull. I thought it was fitting. It's what everybody else seems to be preaching these days. And, uh... Oh, I'm sorry. Was that not my best statement now? Oh, forgive me.
1: Uh,
0: I just want you to be happy, wealthy, and prosperous. I'm really kidding. Uh, If you don't recognize sarcasm, you're going to get familiar with it. Uh, The kingdom advances through sacrifice. The kingdom has never advanced through affluence. Uh, Today, we're in the middle of a feast that goes back all the way to the times of Moses. Moses looked into the heavenlies and he saw a pattern. And he began to build according to that pattern. And the Lord set aside seven feasts that were given to Israel... But nothing that has ever been given to a person was for them alone. It was always for the benefit of all of mankind. So he gave the feast to Israel, but the purpose of the feast was that all mankind might see something, learn, and understand. So those feasts began with Passover, which the Jews call Pesach. From Passover we learn that there's a death sentence upon mankind. Anybody experienced that death sentence? Okay, two of you are telling the truth. That makes us 98% liars in here today. When you were born, you had a death sentence. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And only one thing gets you out of the death sentence, it is the blood of the Lamb. Yes. yes. This causes death to pass you over, friends. <laughs> yes. To be covered in the blood of the Lamb. And while it started with one ethnic group, the Hebrew people, they were allowed to invite others into their houses. And praise God. There you go, Lisa. Get in here, girl. And they were allowed to invite Egyptians in, people that symbolized the world. And no doubt many took them up on it. There have always been other people grafted into the first people group that God started. He has to start somewhere, friends, which begs the question, what is he trying to start in your life? As the people of God began to be covered in the blood of the Lamb and called children of God, adopted by Him, they searched their houses during unleavened bread. It was time to get things right. This is where you crazy Gentiles get the idea of spring cleaning. It was time to go through your house with the light of God's Word and throw out anything that didn't belong. As this happened, at the same time, we wanted to bring something to God to say thank you. We wanted to say, everything I have comes from you. I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for you. I would have no righteousness if it weren't for you. So here's the first fruits of everything that I have. Amen? Amen. Amen. Then we move forward to a harvest feast, the first harvest feast of Shavuot, Pentecost. This was a time period where the nation of Israel celebrated the giving of the law. And it was on this day that the Lord our God decided to pour out His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit upon all mankind. It was saying we've begun to gather the harvest in the barn. You are now empowered to go out as my laborers. As they prayed in the Gospel of John, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would raise up laborers. Now in one day, 3,000 were added from a single message. This was Pentecost. Then we skipped forward in time to the seventh month of the Jewish year, and we were all waiting for the silence to end because there would be Deafening silence And a shofar blast would pierce it Everyone was waiting for the last Trumpet to sound because At the feast of trumpets It would announce something is about to happen To Israel and for the world Starting with Israel An atonement would be poured out on the nation They would become priests Of the living God clean in his presence And salvation would come To the whole world Through Israel. So they did this on Yom Kippur. They got right with their God as a whole nation. And then, on the 15th of Tishri, the 7th month, which was this last Thursday in our calendar, they celebrated the time that God dwelt with men. And he led them through the dry and barren desert. And they built houses, little sukkot, sukkah is singular, uh, sukkot is plural, outside to remember that their forefathers sojourned in the desert looking for the cloud of fire by night, looking for the uh, cloud during the day, following His presence every day. And you could call those tents or tabernacles. Y'all remember how the Gospel of John picks up in the first chapter? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Tabernacles foreshadowed the coming of Jesus where the presence of God would be housed in a temporary dwelling and you would see what it was like to dwell with God. Isn't that good news? Well, the book of Corinthians in the 10th chapter, which I will just allude to here as we get into our text, says everything that ever happened to Israel happened as a warning for us. It happened as an example for us upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So this is not Old Testament to be discarded. It is not Older Testament to be surpassed by a Newer Testament. What we have is one contiguous revelation of God that all builds book upon book, line upon line, precept upon precept. Everything that happened before was to bring us to this point now. Friends, do you feel special for that? How many hundreds of thousands, how many millions of people's lives in some way then have served you? Do you have a responsibility then? My goodness. It would be a selfish thing to realize men had given their life for the book you hold in your lap. It would be a selfish thing to realize a nation has been persecuted by every other nation on the planet at some point for the book that you hold in your lap. It would be a selfish thing to realize (laughs) That slavery, liberation, miracles, and terrible war all occurred in some way building experiences for you so that you could look and learn and see what God is like. Wow. A love like that demands a response, doesn't it? Come on, a love like that demands a response. Amen. Amen. All right, amen, saints. Let us go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is not a book that reads like a slasher movie. Leviticus is not some B-level film that is just all about blood and guts. Leviticus in Hebrew is Weyibra, and it means He called. This is the call of a holy God to an unholy humanity. This is the call of a righteous king that says, I want you to approach me but you must approach me in a prescribed way because everything that is being done is laying a foundation for those upon whom the fulfillment of the ages will come. Everything that was written, every sacrifice, every detail, every pattern was meant to serve a people yet in the future. Friends, we are in the future from the days the book of Leviticus was written. This meant that these details, these actions were put into place for the people then, but also for a people yet unborn, just like you, to teach us something about our God. Let us pick up in Leviticus 23, and we will start with the 33rd verse. There. There.
1: There.
0: Adonai said to Moshe, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, On the 15th day of the 7th month, the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins. When you read this, this may not sound like much to you, but if you are thinking back to where this whole cycle started, the Feast began as something that the Bible calls a holy convocation. A holy convocation in Hebrew is the word mikra. And mikra doesn't just mean a holy event, it means something that you rehearse over and over and over. The night before a wedding, when you go to a dinner, we call that a rehearsal dinner. In Hebrew, that would be a mikra, because it's rehearsing a reality that is coming. The very first of the feast that was ever given was the Feast of Passover, Pesach, where Exodus says you would kill a lamb that had not done anything wrong. And you wouldn't kill him because he was sick. You wouldn't kill him because he was injured. You would precisely kill him because he was perfect. You would take him into your house on the 10th of Nisan, which would become for you the first month of your year. And when you took him into your house and all of your children got to play with him and you got to put your hands on his head so that you had some identification with him on the 14th of Nisan at twilight, his blood would atone for your need to die. It would cover your house in his blood. Would you remember that if you were a little kid the first time it happened? When that goat cried out and it sounded a little bit like a baby. The lamb cried out and it sounded a little bit like a baby. Would you remember that? Might you somewhere in your spirit say, It's not fair. Yes, this is the crucifixion of Jesus. It is not fair, but it is necessary. Because there is a holy God that is calling to us. He is calling and there is only one way to be made right. That happened on the 14th of the first month of their year. We're now reading about the seventh feast that happened in the seventh month on the 15th day of that month and year. That means we are exactly six months from Passover. That's interesting. How many years did Jesus <laughs> minister to the theologians tell us? Three and a half. Wow, if, it, if he died at Passover then... When did his ministry have to start? Oh, three and a half, Brandon. That would be tabernacles. It's almost as if the Gospel of John introduces Jesus as the tabernacle of God. Is this not what he told uh, Nathaniel and Philip? He said, what if you see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man? That event occurred at Bethel house of God. All of the gospel is moving us towards one thing. From the first feast to the last feast, all of it points towards Yeshua, Jesus. Now we know these things are true, but when we look at the details of them, it becomes sober. Would y'all like to see some of the details? Yes. Yes. I mean, if a man died for you, and not just that man, but his whole people group served you by giving you this book, and are still persecuted today for no other reason than that they were born Jews. Shouldn't we read it and take it seriously?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Do you
0: see why the devil has worked so hard to say it's old, but it's irrelevant, throw it out? Yeah. We will not. Are you all in Leviticus? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Leviticus 23, now that we're past the date, starting in verse thirty-three 34. Say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month, The Lord's Feast of Tabernacles begins and it lasts for seven days. Seventh month, the seventh feast will last for seven days. Do you think God is preoccupied with the number seven? Do no regular work for seven days. Present an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present an offering made to the Lord by fire. It is the closing assembly. Do no regular work. There was a process that would begin in the first month. It would take seven months to teach the world repetitively, year after year, what would happen in mankind. And when we reached the seventh month, the seventh feast, and the last day, the seventh day, the eighth one would start something altogether new. It had closed the opportunity for mankind to be called by God. My goodness. When the feast was over, you know how many months you had to contemplate what you had just missed, if you missed them? Six. You had a whole nother half of a year before you'd get another shot at the rehearsal. Friends, there is a day coming when the feast schedule will have closed. Mm. You will have either been covered in the blood. You will have either searched your house, you will have given first fruits, you will have been empowered at Pentecost, you will have heard the trumpet, you will have been atoned for, you will have dwelt with God, or you will have missed the boat. The difference between these annual feasts that you went to Jerusalem for and the plan of God is the plan of God is unfolding all at once. It's only one time. The feast happened every year to remind you it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You ever read the Old Testament and said, wow, he seems harsh. He keeps killing people? Come on, you can tell the truth. You can talk in church. Anybody ever thought that? Yeah. Yeah. Good. I thought I was alone in here. I was getting worried that I was the only one who thought that. This merciful, benevolent God repeated his plan every year seven times in seven months. That kind of repetition could get something through to a person, couldn't it? Did I say seven enough? How many days did we march around Jericho? Seven. How many days did we blow the trumpet? Seven. Seven. And on the seventh day, how many times did we blow it? Seven. And what happened when the seventh trumpet blew on the seventh day? The walls, the walls came, down. came down and the kingdom of the world became the kingdom of God's people. Are you beginning to see a pattern? How many days are in your week? Seven. The eighth day starts a new week, right? Yes. Friends, Peter said a day is as a thousand years. There are only so many days in which a man works and then the plan is closed. You can work six days and the seventh day you rest, the eighth day began something new. How many years do we reign with Jesus upon the earth in a millennial reign? A thousand. When you take one away from seven, what do you get? We're in the year 5772 and I'm not predicting dates, but that's not what I said, the Jewish nation says, we're in the year 5772. I'm not gonna explain that, but if you have ears to hear that are to make you think, Time is short. It's short. Daniel 9 says one of the things that the Antichrist will do is try to change the calendar. (laughs) Time is short. Maybe if we paid attention to the prophetic calendar that was given to us by the Jewish people and repeated for 1,600 years, we could look and recognize exactly where we're at. Maybe when Paul said something like, friends, the last trumpet will sound, you would know what he was speaking about because you knew something about who he was maybe we would understand what was coming. The thing that I want you to get from Leviticus 23 before we move on is this closes the assembly. Look at verse 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the 7th month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, when we reach the end of this feast, we have reached the end of the harvest. There is no more gathering. This is it. We started it at Pentecost. We started it in the 3rd month of the year. In the 7th month... Summer is over. Winter is upon us. Darkness has come when no man can work. It is finished. It's a disgraceful sun that sleeps during the harvest, and yet the American church crosses its arms while the world goes to hell in a handbasket. How can we do this? Come on, there is a caste system in the heavenlies, friend. Did you know that? There is a caste system in the heavenlies. Well, we're Americans. We believe in democracy. I was in India. I've seen what a caste system is. There is yucky. The rich are at the top of it. The very, 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 very poor are at the bottom of it. There is no way to go from the bottom to the top. That same caste system exists in the heavens, except it's turned upside down. You read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and tell me I'm lying. You read Mark 10 and tell me I am lying. It is the poor. It is the outcast. Or It is those who are oppressed, hurt, widows, orphans. They're at the top of God's thoughts. For the rich, it is very hard to enter the kingdom, the Bible says. Mm. We're being warned, saints. We're being warned by a benevolent God who loves us and desires that all men would be saved. We're going to celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of rest, and on the eighth day, also a rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit from the trees. A palm fronds, leafy branches, and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Did we get seven enough? In the seventh feast, the harvest is complete. If you're taking notes, you might write down complete harvest. One of the things that Tabernacles teaches us is that the harvest is complete. There is a day in which you cannot be saved anymore. There is a day in which the almighty, benevolent, merciful God says enough is enough. You either came to me or you did not come to me. How many people have you heard say I will get saved later? I'll get my life right tomorrow. I'll get my life right once I've done these things. Jesus himself said you fool. Your very life may be required of you this night. So I don't feel like I'm going to die soon even if you were living and we reach the end of the harvest. It is the end of the harvest. Does this frighten you for anyone that you know? It frightens me for some people that I know. I have become scared for them. But then, again, don't we have a very great responsibility? Why go evangelize the world? Because if you don't, they're on fire already. Why go tell the lost about Jesus? Because if you don't, you will be guilty of having found the most amazing thing on the planet and not caring enough about your fellow man to introduce them to it. Why go evangelize? Because at some point the harvest is complete and Jesus called workers into his vineyard. And whether you came in in the first hour or the last hour, he promises the same wages, but everyone must work. This day... We have an argument about whether faith and deeds are separate things or together things. And our theologians have parsed words and fought about this. If you trust God, you work for Him. If you do not trust God, you do not work for Him. No amount of work would ever save you. You work because you're saved. It really is that simple. So all of us in here that say we trust God, how are we doing with our time of theft? Hmm. Come on now, if this were a business, If I was a boat captain steering the ship up here, and all of you were employees, what did you do today? What did you do this week? We have a church that has impressed itself with all that we've acquired. We've impressed ourselves with all that we have learned. And the problem is, our great learning has wiped away our obedience. Let me ask you something. When you were first saved, did you know more or less than you do now? Less. 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 Now ask yourself, did you witness more or less than you do now? Wow. Why don't we do this? Let's pick up the topic a little bit. Let us go to Deuteronomy 16. That way I have a church next week to preach in. Huh. Come on, brother. That really is a joke. The truth is I would preach in the parking lot. There. Some of you have been with me in those parking lots. There. In Deuteronomy 16, let us pick up on the 13th verse. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. We celebrate when the work is done, friends. We do not celebrate before. <laughs> is the harvest <laughs> complete? Do you know anybody that needs to be saved? Yes. You know some people that need to be saved, then why are we not working? If we know there's work to be done, why are we not doing it? Say, well, I just didn't feel led, you know. Do you really think that answer is going to pass? Well, I gave some money one time to the kids in Africa. Well, good for you. Would you rather be well fed and go to hell or not well fed and go to hell? Look, I am all for humanitarian deeds. Most of you know we go to Mexico almost every month. We spend every dollar that this ministry has regularly on humanitarian relief for one purpose so they understand we're there to feed their spirit it is great to feed people it is great to do kind things those kind things are to be an expression of our desire to see them saved to see them saved Somewhere along the way, the American church has lost its passion for evangelism so that 98% of all missions go anywhere other than the Muslim world who needs Jesus as bad as any people group ever has. If you cared about the Jewish nation, we would evangelize the children of Islam because when they fell in love with a Jewish king, they would stop hating Jews. You want to solve the world's problems? It's always done through evangelism. I'm not putting notches in your belt here today. I'm certainly not trying to pick on anybody. I'm picking on me. We had to stop and think who in this church is here because I shared the gospel with them. Would it be a long list or a short list? Now let us think about those who are here because you shared the gospel with them. You shared your life with them in some way. Did you just get them here and drop them off like a kid at a daycare? Mm -hmm. Or do you see it as your role to interact with them in some way, to dwell with them in some way, to love them and share your life? Or has religion become for you a personal matter? So, well, you know, I got kids. They got to get in bed. I got all these things to do. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that our lives came before the work of Jesus. I thought that it was the other way around. I thought He said that if you wanted to find life, you must lose it. I thought He said you must take up your cross daily. Are you beginning to feel something here, saints? The heart of God is for the lost. The Feast of Tabernacles is a signal. It's like a flare that goes up in the air and says, in the seventh month, it is over. That means there's only so many hours of daylight in which a man... Can work and we must work. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Hear this Be joyful at your feast. You, your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maid servants, and the Levites, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days celebrate the Feast of the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest, in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. complete. You know, these days the way to build a huge church and the way to sell a lot of books is number one, to get a prettier pastor than you have. Then number two, stand next to him a woman almost as pretty as this pastor's wife. And then together like Ken and Barbie, you put your picture on the front of a book and you tell everybody every day, can be for you just like Friday. Buddy and his kids in a candy store. This is all we have to do. Health, wealth, prosperity. Jesus is about your happiness. The gospel is about you. And when we do this, everybody loves it. They love it and they flock to it. The gospel was never about you. It's about everybody other than you. When we say Jesus died just for me, yes, that's true, so that you could live for every one Else. You are not the object of your own faith, friends. Jesus is the object of our faith, and when you fall in love with Him, you fall in love with the people He cares about. This compels us to go because Tabernacles tells us your joy will be complete when you have gathered the harvest. Do you really want to be happier? You want to throw away your Xanax? You want to get rid of our Christian psychologists? Go evangelize. When you see people born again, when you see the change in their life, when you see someone who is dead come to life, you will get excited and their life will get on you. You sit around and theorize about it, cross your arms, smoke your pipe, debate it, and you will die slowly. Friends, a dry dead religion is not what Jesus died for. He took 11 people who were ill-equipped by the world's standards, but very equipped by the king's standards because they knew what life was like, and life was in giving it away. Life was in dying for your brother. Life was in serving everyone. The caste system in heaven was proven when the king of that place came and served at the feet of the lowest ear. It showed us what to do. You want to be great? Serve the least. Yes, This will change the way that you go to the food court in the mall. It will change your trip to Walmart. All of a sudden, Kroger's is no longer a mission to buy bread. It is a mission to give somebody the kind of bread that comes from the very presence of the living God. We no longer show up in our meetings to debate whether Matthew chose the right songs or not. We no longer show up in our meetings to sit and be entertained by a good word. You show up hoping to be equipped. That you might reproduce what you've heard. That you might share with someone what was freely given to you. And there is life in it. Amen. This brother that was spirit-filled first in Arkansas, his name is Thomas. Something that the Lord checked off of a heavenly list because it was important. And you say, why? He's just one man. He's a regular man. He is just a regular guy. Drives nails for a living. But as soon as he got born again, so rather spirit-filled. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. He went to work. He's been telling everybody. His pastor is preaching a different message this morning than he would have preached unless it had happened. The youth in his church are acting differently than they would have happened because when you get the power of God, you want everybody to have it. Yes. You are so full of it, it's contagious. It yes. gets all over you. Amen. The church has swam in grace so long we've perverted it into something it never was. A license for immorality. A license for apathy. A license for a selfish, putrid, prosperity lie. You want to be blessed in your harvest? Blessed in your harvest? Blessed in your harvest? Then your harvest needs to be about other people. Mm. That's how you get blessed in a harvest. Mm. Otherwise a rich Mormon is going to show you the way to the gospel. Mm. Friends, I want the real thing. I want you to have it. The truth is I can teach you about every feast in great length. We can stretch this service into 12 hours and I would not have a problem with it. I love it. I debate the finer points of anything that you want in the Word. I've spent my life in it. But if all of our preaching, all of our teaching, all of our worship, all of our hope to inspire does not result in you working outside the church, then it's for nothing. We formed this ministry with the axiom, perform out there what you have practiced in here. But along the way, it is so easy to get comfortable. Tabernacles was a way of putting the world on notice. The harvest is going to be complete. This is how you get complete. Joy is working in the harvest. Keep your finger in Deuteronomy. Turn with me to John 15. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. We're going to the New Testament. There. All right, now that you feel relieved, we're going to go right back to the older Testament. Are you all in John 15? We are. Getting there. In John 15, look at verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Everybody believes this is the inerrant word of God. They believe in things like uh, plenary verbal inspiration. They believe that this is the actual dictated text of God and do not believe what it says. The religious will fight you for the fact that this is the word of God and then get mad at you when you tell them what they call the word of God actually says. If you are asking and you're not getting, you are asking for the wrong things. But let me ask you, are you asking for Lamborghinis or are you asking for a hundred souls? Are you asking for something you can spend on your selfish desires? Or are you saying, Lord, the harvest is small. Raise up some, somebody who will work with me and we can give you a huge harvest. Lord God, help me. Equip me. Open my mouth that I might speak your word. Where are your desires?
1: Yes,
0: Friends, if you are sitting in a church that does not preach these things, I'm not saying go to my church. We can only fit so many here and I don't like building. <laughs> But what I am saying is you better be with like-minded people that their undying passion is for the Lord. Because if your undying passion is not for the Lord, then it begs the question, what is it for? What is it divided with? When you answer that question, you may have found your idol. And when you have found your idol, you may find what prevents you from walking in the kingdom and therefore necessitates that a holy God separates you from Himself. The wheat and the winnowing fork go together it siphons out the wheat not gravel, wheat you hear me? we are the harvest of God we are the children of God and yet every parable that was ever written was given to us not the lost, us every person hearing the book of Matthew believed themselves to be a son of God listen to the warnings in it the kingdom of God is like a net that was let down into the the ocean it caught all kinds of fish but some were thrown back The kingdom of God is like a a king who threw a banquet for a wedding and he invited, but they would not come. And then when some came, they were dressed inappropriately. We need to open our eyes. We cannot give ourselves every accolade accolade in the Bible and absolve ourselves of every obligation in the Bible. (coughs) Among the last words Jesus ever spoke were, Go make disciples. And we think it's somebody else's job. Somebody with a special calling. Tabernacles warns us you can't have joy when you're not working in the harvest. And the harvest is going to come to a complete end. And what you've done will have to stand for an eternity. John 15, back in the 7th verse. Did I say (laughs) 7?
1: If you remain
0: in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be My disciples. Showing yourself to be My disciples. Well, Why not just ask what we believe? As the Father has loved Me, so I have loved you. Now remain in My love. If you obey My commands, you will remain in My love, just as I have obeyed My Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Before Jesus said your joy may be complete, there's only one time in all of the Bible that it's referenced. Before Jesus said it in the book of John in the 15th chapter, before Paul wrote it to the Colossians later, there's only one time in all of the Bible that it was ever referenced, and it was in regards to the seventh month, the seventh feast, the seventh day of that feast, when the harvest was complete. Do you know when your happiness comes, friends? It comes as you work in the harvest, and it's completed when the harvest is completed. How dare us live our entire lives long, do it selfishly, and claim all of heaven? How dare us not do the things that God has required of His children, the things that He lovingly, carefully prepared in advance for us to do? And then think that we will inherit everything that is wonderful, everything that is beautiful. Every time I look up and I see my friend Renan in the back, I know that he worked very, very hard to obtain certain skills. He's a teacher of the martial arts. What if I simply studied in a book about the martial arts? Never stretched, never worked out, never went to a class, never worked with a master instructor, but instead just showed up and proclaimed myself worthy of whatever the highest accolade is. That would be laughable, would it not? And we do it all of the time in church. We do it all of the time in church. We have been taught to announce a creed and then lay claim to all of heaven when our deeds do not show what we are proclaiming. That's right. I realize I'll probably always preach in storefronts, it may be on sawdust floors, it may be with what the world would call undesirables. But then again, there's a caste system in the heavens, isn't there? And it's what the world calls undesirable that God highly favors. So congratulations, we made the cut. (laughs) For the Lord your God will bless you in all of your harvest, in all of your work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. Let's get to a whole lot of bull because I've got some other things to cover. We're going to be in the 29th chapter of Numbers. There. Stephen's Bible is faster than our Bibles. We need some nitrous. We need an upgrade. Ironically, the book of Numbers is Be'emit Midbar in Hebrew. When we say Be'emit Midbar, this is the title of the book. We can rename it Numbers if we want. I mean, Jorge's mama called him Jorge and I call him George. I guess we have a certain prerogative, right? We can do whatever we want, but when we call the book Numbers, what do you think of? Numbers. In Hebrew, of course, Bemidbar means in the desert, because when we go from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus to Numbers, if Leviticus means he called and Numbers, Bemidbar means desert, it means that he called to you when you were in the desert. Doesn't this speak a message about the living God? You were not in a good place when He found you. He did not call you because of your great skills. He did not call you because of your great achievements. You were starving, dying, dry, and in the desert when He called you, but He called you because He loves you. Yes. Amen. Amen. What book comes after Numbers? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, Devarim, and He gave you His Word. Friends, is lost a happy place to be? No. Is it dry? No. Yes. Does it hurt? hmm He's calling to them through you and demanding that you give them His Devarim, Deuteronomy, His Word. Because it makes all the difference, doesn't it? When you know the truth and the truth sets you free, does it make a difference? Yes. 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 Then we need to set people free in the name of Jesus. Tabernacles tells us that the harvest is going to be completed, that our joy will be complete in the harvest. In Numbers 29, speaks yet another message. Pick up with me in verse 12. Y'all there? Yeah. Yeah. On the 15th day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. All right. At this point, I realize I'm beating a dead horse, so I'm going to stop. But y'all say seven seven days. Seven days. So you understand God works in a period of sevens. You understand a week of sevens. A Sabbath years of sevens. A seven times the seven Sabbath years is a jubilee. We have sevens everywhere. I'm not preaching the gospel that announces the time and coming of Jesus. We all ought to have learned that lesson many times now. Mr. Camping was sincerely, but sincerely wrong. And a thousand other misguided people before him did the same thing. But every week we know that there are six days and then a seventh on which a man rests. We know this. We know that Peter tells us a day is a thousand years. In Psalm 90, David said the same thing. This might cause us to wake up and say, if we were theoretically in the 6,000th year or close to it, like the year 5,772, there's a seventh day coming in which no man can work. The harvest will close. Amen. I believe in the imminent imminent return of Jesus. I'm not telling you it's 300 years away. I'm not telling you it's 30 minutes away. I'm telling you there is a pattern in the Bible. And we are near the end of the pattern by anyone's measure. Are you all hearing that? Yes. Yes. So how many out there do we want to go to hell? Then we cannot simply walk by. We can't. I'm not telling you you need to be under such a burden that you're blabbering to everybody meat. I'm telling you, you need to be daily spirit led, but you cannot deceive yourself and say you're spirit led if the spirit who wants all men to be saved is never leading you to witness. Perhaps he's leading and we're not listening. My wife has to dance with a guy like that. Y'all ready? Ready. What did I tell you? I told you, Numbers 29, on the 15th day, we've got our seventh day assembly. How about this? Pick up in verse 13. Present an offering made by fire as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. A burnt offering of how many bulls?
1: 13.
0: On the 15th of Tishri, we have 13 bulls. Look at the 17th, uh, verse 17. On the second day, prepare 12 bulls. Look at verse 20. On the third day, prepare 11. Look at verse 23. On the fourth day, prepare Look at verse 26. On the fifth day, prepare. Nine. Verse 29. On the sixth day, prepare. Eight. On the seventh day, verse 32, prepare. Seven. God is kind of fascinated with this number, isn't he? Perhaps he's trying to teach us something. You know, in your bulletin, if you have that, the 15th of history, 13, 16th was 12. We go from 13 to 12 to 11 to 10 to 9 to 8 to 7. Did anybody add those bulls up where the question mark is? Come on, mathematician! Somebody work hard at it. Don't be scared to get it wrong. I'll give you a hint. It starts with a 7. Did you add them up? What is it? 70. We, over a period of seven days, sacrificed a number of descending bulls that God chose. He said, what is all that Old Testament stuff about? It just so happens that in the ancient world, the rabbi said, God divided the Earth into 70 nations. Seven was a God's perfection. Seven was the number of God that he liked to work in, and 10 was the number of man. That's how many fingers and toes you have. Man's government was always represented in 10s, and God's government was represented in 7s and 12s. You thought that was a dice game. It's not. And if you know that, you
1: shouldn't.
0: (laughs) Listen. On the Feast of Tabernacles, on the seventh day, one of the last things they did was sacrifice seven bulls, bringing their total to 70. In Jesus' day, they taught something about that. They said it was never God's desire just to save Israel. Our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life at Passover. We were sealed in it at atonement. We celebrate all of that at Tabernacles, but we want the world to celebrate with us. They sacrificed a bull for every existing nation in their time. The idea was this atonement needs to be so big that it would cover the nation. Because the religion of God is never selfish. And all of our modern observance, and I love the Jewish people, I love the Messianic community (laughs) even more, we focus on the number of branches that we use. We focus on how you build the structure. We focus on what bread to eat, what fruits to eat, and what each fruit represents, and we miss something in the message. The whole point of Tabernacles was that God wants to dwell with all mankind. But he started with Israel. And it started with the revelation to Israel that it was never just about them. It was always about everyone else. Could we benefit from the same revelation? God never saved you just for you. He saved you with the thought that it would always be about everyone else. We have to go find the 70 nations, friends. We have to. This is why the gospel says, Go ye therefore into all nations. This is why it says this. The gospel was always for everyone else. How many of you have grown up without ever seriously questioning, ever at any time questioning that the Bible was right? That was me. I can't remember a time, long time before I was a Christian. I was sure the Bible was right. I didn't do anything with it saying. But I was sure that it was right. I also claimed Jesus as Lord. Long time before he was ever really Lord. But I said it. Because I grew up in the benefit of that assumption. But where did it come from, friends? It came on the backs of people that worked hard for it. And at some point, I had to have a genuine, real coming to Jesus meeting. Where it was no longer going to be lip service. It was going to be true. And the first thing that he did was say, I've done this for you, Eric. But it's really about everyone else. Equip yourself, I'm going to put you to work. I don't believe that your experience, if you really had one, is much different if you think about it. Salvation is never selfish. There's a whole lot of bull involved. Something has to die for everybody to live. Jesus died once, he can never die again. You die a little bit to your own desires and your own will every day for him. Something must die. The gospel by necessity the book of Corinthians says brings death to the giver and life to the recipient. Paul said, so then death is at work in us but life then is at work in you. This means that we lay down our pride. We lay down the things that we might cling to for the benefit of everyone else. Healthy churches are never based on the sacrifice of a few generous people. It is based on a generous sacrifice of all or it is not a church, Amen. friends. Amen. If you were hanging off of a cliff, what person in this room would you want holding on to the other end of that rope? If you think long and hard about it, you might pick a man for a statue. You might pick a woman for her pain threshold because God knows we're weenies compared to them. <laughs> <laughs> you might pick all kinds of things and the real truth in this is when you could look in this room and say not a person in here would let me go, then we have a church. Who would die for the gospel? What an easy thing to say until some part of our life is required. We all promise to give it in that day. But what if he's asking for it a moment at a time? Why don't we do this? Turn with me to Zechariah 14. Easiest way to find Zechariah if you struggle with that kind of thing like I do, you hit the book of Matthew and make a left. Isn't that cool? Because we know you can find the book of Matthew. I suppose I could just stand up, feed you a wafer, and tell you you received Jesus. That worked in the part of the world I grew up in. But in this part of the world, people want more than that. They don't want a wafer where they receive Jesus. They want to be told, God wants you rich. He wants you selfish. He wants you self-absorbed. He wants you so successful that you can die in your own prosperity. That's what is required to be preached now. Can you tell I'm not a fan of the prosperity gospel? Have I hinted at that enough? (laughs) The gospel is by nature, necessity, sacrificial. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. You want to find the heart of God? It starts with self denial. Instead of self exaltation, which is what we tend to excel at, are y'all in Zechariah 14? In Zechariah 14, let us then read uh, the 16th verse. This uh, is a passage that is associated with eschatology. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. I spent years not knowing what to call it, but fascinated with it. The background is probably too extensive for me to tell you today because there is a timer that is attached to the nerves in your butt and uh, it will go off at some point and your ears will will begin to shut down. So let me say this. At the culmination of the ages, the Feast of Tabernacles shows up. Shows up in this way, verse 16. Then the survivors from whom the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no... What's that word say? Now, we don't think much about it. Of course, in Texas, we're starting to think about it more because there's a pretty serious drought here. You know? I stepped outside yesterday and thought it was foggy and realized the wind simply blew down my street and there was enough dust to look foggy. I thought the denominational church on the corner opened their doors and let it out, but I was wrong. So what happened, probably, is somebody cracked their Bible and blew the dust off of it. But where we're at with this... Yeah, I'm sorry. That was not God's best for me, is it? Where we're at with this is by the time we get to the first century, by the time we get to the place where Jews have celebrated this for 1,500, 1,600 years, they've also now read Zechariah through the 400 years of silence, They've contemplated it, and they made another leap. They said, not only is Tabernacles about completing your joy, not only is Tabernacles about completing the harvest, not only is Tabernacles about the end of all sacrifice for all mankind, Tabernacles is also inherently linked to water. That's not a huge jump to make, is it? What an interesting thing. As that began to grow in Jewish culture, they said, you know... It was rain that brought us this harvest. Think about that. The Ruach Hakodesh, the Spirit of God that brought us the harvest. It was rain that brought us this harvest. We're now at the end of the harvest season. It's over. We're going to go through six months of winter and darkness. Why don't we take this time to pray for rain for next year's harvest? Hmm. Doesn't that make sense? So in the days of Jesus, they went down to the pool of shilak or shalom, depending on what translation you want to read. They took a golden flask that had come from the temple. They dipped that flask, that giant bowl, down into the pool of Shalom, the waters of peace, of the Lord's salvation. It's where the man was waiting to be healed that Jesus came and healed him and told him to pick up his mat and walk. It was that pool. What a beautiful thing. They held it up, blessed it. They sang from Isaiah 12. They said, with joy. We have drawn water from the wells of salvation. They put it on their shoulders and went in a procession back to the temple. And around the altar on the first day of tabernacles, they walked once around the altar. And on the second day of tabernacles, they walked once around the altar. And so they did on the third day, and on the fourth day, and on the fifth day, and on the sixth day, and how many days of tabernacles are there? Uh Seven. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times and had that jar of water. They poured it into 12 earthen vessels and upon the altar of God. What on earth could that be symbolizing? The Holy Spirit is washed away the stain of blood. The Holy Spirit is now being poured from a divine vessel into regular earthen vessels. Or it could just be an agricultural thing. Maybe they were just praying for good irrigation. Of course, the Mishnah says that they associated the water with the Spirit of God in His outpouring upon Israel that brought the great harvest. <coughs> Let us turn to John, the seventh chapter. Whole Fair. lot of bull precedes the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Fair. Have you ever thought about what it must have been like to kill 70 bulls? I mean, I don't know whether you ever had to kill one animal, but uh, my son is a deer slayer. I'm not, I mean, that's just, that's not me. Uh, I haven't been mad at Bambi in years. I'll eat any Bambi you bring me. So uh, I'm not a vegetarian uh, and and not a pacifist, you know. Uh, But having said that, I just, I don't shoot them. I like that other people do it, and I like when you drop off the food. So don't stop doing that. (laughs) But Judah is a deer slayer. And uh, so he, he shoots what we Was widely believed to be a buck uh, It was twilight It was difficult to see while yeah. And we had to hang this thing up in a tree In my backyard And being inexperienced at this sort of thing I ignored the sawzall that was sitting over there That never occurred to me <laughs> We used pocket knives. That was such a bloody, terrible ordeal. My backyard, my little dachshund was swimming in it. He grabbed him a a hoof.
1: And then he realized
0: there were three more. And a dog that is only 16 inches long was trying to carry 32 inches of hoofs.
1: About
0: a week later, my wife found one vacuum under our bed.
1: <laughs>
0: now, let's imagine it's not a 140 pound <clears throat> dough. And uh, I'm sure it was a buck. I it. <laughs> Let's imagine that that's not what it is.
1: <laughs>
0: let's imagine that it's a 2,000 pound bull. Is it going to be more bloody? Yes. Oh, yeah. Now, let's do that 70 times in the same type of area. Is that going to be bloody? Yes. Yeah. It was through very great sacrifice that there was a way made for you to receive God's Spirit. And it was not the blood of bulls or goats. It was the life of Yeshua. He made a great atonement for you. But it was not just for you, now was it? The reason there were 70 bulls is because it was really for all mankind. Isn't this what 2 Timothy tells us? I mean, 2 Timothy 2, the fourth verse, says that our God desires that all men would be saved all I'm curious, is that our desire, <coughs> Or do we think they should have been born somewhere else? They don't have clean water, it must be tough for them. Is that really how Christians think? I have two cars, one of them's, I don't, yeah, I guess we do. One of them's 12 years old, and one's, I'm not good at math, old. <laughs> but what I would like is, a, yeah, Jim just said it, seven. The other one's seven years, <laughs> seven and 12. Price count of that worked great, but <laughs> check it out. I'm in the top two percent of the world. I have two automobiles. Do I have any responsibility for that? You know, this is this is it's worth considering, isn't it? Because the harvest is going to draw to a close And we're going to have to answer for those we didn't feed Those we didn't clothe Those we didn't get water Those we didn't invite in our homes Because whatever we've done to the least of them Is what we did for Jesus And of course it works the other way too, doesn't it? Isn't that how we separated sheep and goats in Matthew 25? Didn't we say You did not feed the hungry Mm. You did not visit those in prison You did not clothe the naked They all looked the same, but their deeds were different. And so some perished while others enjoyed eternal life. I can just hear my Baptist upbringing screaming. He's teaching you work for salvation. I'm teaching that your faith is not so pathetic, not so impotent, not so weak and emaciated that you don't do anything with it. That's what I'm teaching. Just to clear that up for everyone. In John 7... What's, uh, what's your title say above the first verse? Jesus. Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. Go figure, he wasn't an American, he was a Jew. And the very fact that he went to the Feast of Tabernacles shows that he was law observant. A law observant Jew, imagine that. Did you realize Jesus could have broken no Older Testament command, not one? Or he would not have been perfect? So when you look at the life of Jesus, what you're really doing is looking at a living, breathing movie of the Older Testament. So how dare I say we like the New Testament don't like the Older? You must not like Jesus very much because it is Him. Yeah. He's the substance of God. And the law is the character of God. Okay, so we're at Tabernacles, right? After this, Jesus went around. No, we're not going to start in verse 1 because we won't be able to finish. Let us start then in, how about verse 28? Will you trust me for the first 28 verses? Is that okay? Yes. Will anybody not trust me for the first 28 verses? That's great. That's great. So we can pick up in the 28th verse. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Do you realize that if you play it safe, sit in your pew in your dry, dead church, you never go into the harvest, you never do the work that God has called you to do. You may feel safe, but you're actually dead. However, you plunge yourself into the middle of lost humanity. You answer the call of Jesus, even if they all desire to kill you, they can't do it one moment before He allows it. So you ask me, you answer something. Are you safer in the center of God's will wherever it is or in the center of your lounge chair in your church? Sipping on Starbucks, watching your kids play in the multi-million dollar facility? I was in one yesterday with Michael. We were greeted by a man that looked like he'd been on steroids longer than he's been alive. Of course, of course, on the building, it said recreation center. I never saw a truer statement. Recreation center, because that's what the church ought to be, right? Recreation center. Well, Eric, this is for evangelism. Really? Are you sure it's not just so that we can be on luxury liners while everybody else is drowning? Wonder what would happen if we fed some people with that same multi million dollar setup. But let's not be fooled. When we walked in, that's not where it stopped. It would be great if that's where it stopped. There was also a model of a football stadium that they're building for their church. I don't mean for seating for the gospel. I literally mean a sports arena because that's the newest thing now. We even have sports pastors. Did you know that? Sports pastors. In my day, we just had to contend with the fleshly Christian athletes or the fellowship of carnal athletes. That's what we had to contend with. We didn't actually have sports stadiums in our dead churches. What we had were men that were full of pride that used their athletic accomplishments to leverage naive kids into praying a prayer in a moment. And then we called them saved because it looked good. Nobody was really dying for Jesus. You know how I know? I led those meetings a long time before I was ever saved and I was that fleshly carnal athlete. Not a person in my school didn't know my name. I won the Bible Award the year that I was actually saved, but before I was saved. My biceps were bigger than most. I could bench press a lot more then than I can now. And I was on my way to hell. But it was okay because I was an athlete and so well spoken, right? Okay, let us pick back up in the text. That would relieve some stress in the room, wouldn't it? Sure. <laughs> Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Now, we better read what the crowd said. Verse 30, at this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time. And then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I go, you cannot come. Two thousand years this side of the cross, we understand He was going to the Father. But look and see what their immediate concern is. Where did they think He was going and what upset them about it? The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go to our people scattered among the Greeks? Because that would be bad enough to go to those Jews who live with the Greeks and teach the Greeks. Do you hear it? Religion had become so selfish, so self-centered that it actually, even though in type was correct, sacrificed 70 bulls for the 70 nations. A teacher that is amazing who's doing miracles and who don't they want to share him with? Those Jews who aren't right here and the Greeks they live with wow, isn't that kind of sick? Mm. shake your head, say something. Is that sick? Amen. Is it any less sick that the church comes and studies every week about the same great Jesus and doesn't go sharing with their neighbors? Amen. Is it any less sick? Amen. Maybe we have everything right and tight. Maybe our creeds are perfect, our T's are crossed, our eyes are dotted, but where are the deeds, friends? Amen. Could you be convicted of, of I mean, would you go to jail if the law said if you... Led 10 people to Jesus this year. You're in prison. Would any of you be scared? Well, I just don't feel led, you know. Well, maybe we need to fan into flame something God's deposited in us. I led more than 10 people to Jesus the first month that I was saved. We're supposed to increase in that pace, not decrease. But something happened to me and happens to all of you. We're lulled to sleep by the affluence around us, the relative ease and comfort of our lives. We buy into the idea that says, you know, everybody's pretty well okay. They know about Jesus. He beats his wife. They both commit adultery, but you know, they go to church, it's all right. They even throw some change in the plate every now and then. We need to wake up. It, it, it's The harvest is upon us, and we are the sons that are sleeping through a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. This is what Proverbs says. And poverty comes on us like a band. Did you know even if you're a marathon runner, in less than three weeks you lose 80% of your aerobic conditioning if you lay off? Did you know that? And mm. the good news is you bounce back quicker. But you lose your aerobic capacity in 21 days, even if you're a marathon runner. Friends, The church has lost its spiritual capacity because it's not putting into practice the things that we say. They're worried it's going to go to the Greeks. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, this is verse 37. This is what Matt told you during uh, praise and worship. This is Hoshana Rabbah. It means the ultimate salvation. Of all salvation, the best salvation... It's the highest day because if we waited for the seventh feast and then the seventh feast was seven days long and we had to wait for that seventh day and then they're going to march around that altar seven times when we had to wait for the seventh time and then they're going to pour water into twelve earthen vessels and upon the altar and that is the culmination of the feast. It is the last moment of this feast season and there may not be another that anyone can be saved. John 7.37 says, On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, If any man thirst, let him come and drink of me. He was at the same time proclaiming himself God because they understood that water to be of divine origin. He was proclaiming himself the last opportunity for salvation. He was proclaiming himself. for world evangelism because it was the water that brought the harvest have you drunk of him and how deeply did you drink did you buy into the lie that Romans 8 9 says that because if his spirit's not in you you don't belong to him that the moment you were saved you got all of him you'll ever get did you buy into that lie because it's been proven wrong thousands of times. And how has it been proven wrong thousands of times? Because this dumb, uneducated boy was daring enough to believe that there might be more. And when we pray, people get more. Yes, amen. So I'm not interested in a cessation argument anymore. You know why I'm not interested in it? I have bit of the apple. I don't have to argue with you about what it tastes like. The man with the experience is never at the mercy of the man who merely has an argument. What would happen if we quit debating and we started hungering? What would happen if the people of God really got thirsty? If you got thirsty, you might get filled up. And if you got filled up, you might work in the harvest. And if you worked in the harvest, then what Romans teaches us would be true. You would be sent. You would preach. They would hear. When they heard, they would call. And when they called, the Lord would save them. This is the plan and goal of God. It's not whether there's a rapture or no rapture, whether it's pre, mid, or post. That sounds like serial, friends. It's ridiculous. There's a resurrection of the righteous that is coming. On that, we can all agree. Until then, we work in the harvest. I want to close, and I also don't want to close. We have a strange, <laughs> dualistic nature sometimes. I feel like you probably have the point, and yet I'd like to put a cherry on top of the sundae. What comes after John 8, or John 7? Oh, I just told you, didn't I? John 8. John 8. Many of the earliest and most reliable manuscripts do not have this passage, some Bibles will say. Sorry, they shouldn't put that there. If the Spirit in you does not tell you that this belongs, I don't know what does. They drag a woman before Jesus caught in the act of adultery. Of course, if she was caught in the act, where's the guy, Right? As Leviticus 20 teaches, you bring them both. But apparently we're not interested in being technically precise. We're just interested in embarrassing this woman and trapping the teacher. They asked him what he was going to do about it. He refused to condemn her. Instead, he wrote something in the dust. Jeremiah 17 says that if you reject the spring of living water, God himself would write your name. In the dust. So we don't have to wonder what he wrote. We just need to know the book of Jeremiah. Now we know what he wrote. Then what happens? They leave one at a time. The accuser of the brethren was dismissed. And why was he dismissed? He was dismissed because he was guilty of what he was pointing at her for. He's actually guilty of a greater sin. This is how Jesus dealt with the enemy. The one that accuses you day and night or at least used to. Revelation 12 says he's been thrown. Colossians 1.22 says you now stand free from accusation. That means he's not accusing you daily anymore, not to the Father, maybe just to you. He's been proven guilty. He no longer has any right to accuse you. Are you hearing me? Woman, where are your accusers? There are none, sir. Then neither do I accuse you. Go leave your life of sin. saved the moment she obeys, but she'll spend a lifetime leading her life of sin. When you think of sin, you think of something you do, yeah? James 4.17 says, sin's what you don't do. Any man then that knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it, sins. That's James 4.17. So when she leads her life of sin, it's not just not committing adultery, it's also doing the things God tells her to do. Are you hearing me? We have focused on what we don't do as Christians and not enough on what we so we move forward we get to john 8 12 (laughs) i am the light of the world he says now if you read down a little further you find out that he's standing in the treasury he's standing in a specific place you know what's interesting about that this area where he's at in the temple the last thing that you do at the feast of tabernacles is in this very area they had some 75-foot tall menorahs, lamps. They symbolized the fire by night and cloud by day that Israel was to follow through the desert. They had a little lighting ceremony. And right at the moment they were lighting those, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I want to invite you to follow the light of the world the same way that Israel did in the desert. I Men every day they didn't know what they were going to eat, but God provided it. I and mean, then every day they weren't sure where they were going, but God showed them where to go. I and mean, then every day they didn't know whether to make camp permanently or not. In fact, the Bible says they traveled through like, like uh, aliens and strangers. This is what it meant to trust the Lord. These were the people that would later inherit the land. They knew what it was to pray and mean it. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't do those things because we're focused on storing all we can and making sure that if we give anything, it doesn't dip into our own needs. Are you hearing me? Yes. I'm not passing a plate here today. I'm not trying to increase the church's offerings. I've never cared about amassing money. The only thing that's ever caught my attention is when there was not enough to do what we were supposed to do. That's the only thing that's ever caught my attention. I'm telling you that we cannot aim for the minimum and claim the maximum. The Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder. And if you want to harvest, you will never get it without being so full of His Spirit that it overflows to everyone else. So why does Paul tell us to hunger and thirst why does He tell you to eagerly desire the gifts? They are the manifestations of the Spirit. Now, you're not hearing me talk about first-class and second-class Christians. You're not, talking, you're not hearing me talk about requirements for salvation. All of those things that ridiculous slavish doctrine has made, what I'm telling you is God's children want all of Him as much as they can get every day, as deeply as they can drink, and they are never satisfied because He is the ultimate. And anything else you hear is a whole lot of bull, but the other kind. I've been all over the world now, and those people who are working for Him diligently day and night are men who are full of the Spirit. They are. You want to be successful in the kingdom, something other than your mere natural instincts has got to lead you. I'm telling you, it's time to get hungry for that. Is there anybody who's hungry? Yes. Do you see how reluctant we are to speak? How scared we are to act? Do you see how used we are to sitting and listening? Somebody just asked you if you were hungry for the Spirit of God. And we had the kind of response that you would get out of a quilting. Are you hungry for the Spirit of God? Yes. Yes. Then drink deeply, friends. Y'all stand
1: your...